Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Derhodge. Thanks again for tuning in uh, to Authentic Living with Roxanne. So today I have a special guest that I think uh, focuses on an area that I think most of us are yearning to understand a bit more, uh, neurodiversity. Uh, so today I have Cynthia Milani and Cynthia is uh, with the Neurodiversity Institute and she'll give you the formal name uh, that much more where she works um, but really enhancing, or I would say, raising the knowledge of people um, about the whole spectrum of neuro neurodiversity. So, Cynthia, thanks so much for coming on today. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Um, so let's, you know, Cynthia and I met in, uh, we were very privileged to both um, uh, be working. Uh, we went to a conference um, where uh, I was able to speak and I was also able to listen to Cynthia speak on the, the issue of neurodiversity. Let's talk about um, kind of your path. Like what made you pick this course of, uh, or space to um, work with neurodiversity, Cynthia? Well, you know, it's a, it's a good question. And of course it is a field that is just emerging, Roxanne. But um, just to give a little bit of background on that, it is, uh, I started actually, I became interested in brain science very early on. And that's really been a calling for me when I was maybe 10, 12, and people would say, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? It wasn't maybe your usual, you know, fireman baker or whatever. I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And that always, I was fascinated from, I just knew it's what I wanted to do because I wanted to understand how the brain works. Well, obviously I didn't come, become a, a, a surgeon, but I think I dissected almost every day in my studies. And what got the laugh was, and something I don't often share, is, is that it was because I had a, a and still do, ADHD, attention mm -hmm. deficit disorder. And as a result, I was one of the worst students, this, the one that was considered the slow one in the class, the one that just couldn't quite make it through high school, that changed schools a couple of times, bounced around the usual story. And then um, after, like many people with ADHD, taking on different things, whether it was Mr. Peace Corps, all kinds of little projects, I still couldn't make it in school. Well. I was very lucky because Columbia University had, has a program which is called General Studies. And they uh, invite students who did fall through the cracks, who never made it. And uh, I was one of those students that was chosen based on the different things that I had done. And I was so thrilled to be there. I had never read a book by the time I had arrived. I couldn't, I had dyslexia. I had, as many people do with, uh, that are neurodiverse, you have a whole hodgepodge of different things. And I went from not having read that book. And what we didn't realize then was that the, 
the, you know, the neurocortex was beginning to come together so that I could actually begin to concentrate and take information in. And I managed to whiz through in, you know, less than three years with honors and only to say, when it begins to happen for you, it is the most thrilling thing in the world. So I went in from there, I went into, um, I, I studied neuroanthropology, which was called biological then. And I was very interested in, um, in witchcraft. And I traveled throughout Africa and was so amazed by what the brain could do. It fit in with the things that I had already begun to understood about the power of the brain and, and, um, and what we could do when we change those neural pathways. And at that time, uh, I was working under Margaret Mead, and she had a program that she thought would be appropriate for the brand new biofeedback that was being done by NIH, the National Institute of Health. So that took me into that. And that's where I really began to understand the power of the mind when it was applied in a medical situation, which it had been in a lot of the witchcraft as well, but it was uh, still what people believed and they were using a lot of placebo scent. They were beginning to hook people up and let us begin to control our own selves. So it was a very exciting field. And that's the one I stayed with for um, a while until I sort of jumped a bit and went into the other side of anthropology, which is culture. So I worked in 50 different countries uh, with companies that in all aspects of business trainings and saw the entire gamut of it and was able to put things in by bits. But it wasn't until about 10 years ago that we began to really start to have a feel and uh, get something that was actually uh, um, thought to had a term for it. And that was Judy Singer. And she came up with the term of neurodiversity to, to use as a part of inclusion, as uh, what, to say, this group of people needs to be included. We've got eight a billion people on the planet. 18% are considered neurodiverse. We know every brain is different. I was seeing differences in culture, so I can certainly add to that. And um, that is what has brought me to today. And I do a lot of my training around inclusion and, uh, and bias and really trying to get those um, work with companies like some of my clients have been SAP and IBM and, and uh, you know, different companies that are really proactive about about using and realizing that uh, that this is a not a curse for people. This is rather an asset to be definitely used by companies. So let's let's back up a little bit. I'm I'm thinking, you know, obviously your intellectual capacity was there, and you didn't not till you got to Columbia um, were you able to collate it in a way that allowed society to recognize that there was this intellectual capacity. What was it like for you as a child? Did you, um, you know, because we're talking about, you know, going back quite a while, how did the people in your life or even the, the school systems prior to Columbia deal with the fact that you um, had ADD, ADHD? And at that point, did they know that that was what you were dealing with? Well, and, you know, as you can see by some of this gray hair, this was really before as much as understood about it today. So I'll give you two stories. 
um, it was awful. It was really awful, Roxanne, because I was just considering myself, and we all did, the, the, the dumb one in the class. And um, I also had dyslexia, and that was not picked up. I just kept saying, this is so weird. I look at things, and they go to the front, and they go to the back. And, you know, I just can't be worried with this. And so I, I was just ignored and passed over, really. And um, some of the questions that I asked were a rather disconcerting, like a lot of ADHD, they ask questions that other people aren't asking. And um, in, in fact, I remember when uh, one teacher, I think I was in about the third grade, mentioned the fact that she said, boy, we're really going to hear from you someday. We've got one leader in our class. And <laughs> Cynthia, I thought, me? No one has ever picked that out. And I came up later and I said, why, why would you even think that? I'm, I'm so dumb. She said, no, it's the questions you ask. And that's what's so important about people who are neurodiverse is they do ask different kinds of questions. They do think out of the box. They do think differently and they're hearing things. And as Richard Branson said, a, uh, who also has ADHD as well as some other good things, he said that uh, growing up, it was similar for him. And he, they, he realized he was either gonna end up in prison or you know, on a on a um, doing hand labor or something, or he also began to get out of the system and really question it. So at that time, it was very difficult for for anyone going through the school system. So I knew that one could have a lot of different ways that, that one learns to do to to counter this. You want a good agenda. Me being ADHD, I have a good agenda, but. <laughs> Then I got one that I thought was a little bit better. So I'd use that one. And then I got a third one that I thought, well, I really like the way I can lay out. And this one's in French. And this one's in, I have five. And so I had to throw them all away and say, no, one agenda, one agenda. So um, we learned to control ourselves and hopefully add um, these new perspectives along the way. So let's back up because I'm very, very curious. You said something about that you listen in a different way. So... For the average person that doesn't understand what that means, can you try to explain that in simple terms about when you said people like, um, you know, your teacher said, brilliant. Um, so you were in some way taking in information and giving it back out to the world in a different way. So explain that process, because I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because um, there are so many people around us that probably have this gift, but we're not in fact seeing it as a gift. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, the pro I'm sorry, um, the process that you're looking at, you would, you would like me to go into further, Roxanne, is? Is how you listen differently because you are, um, in this case, talking about ADD or maybe other neurodiversity. I think of it as almost like, and this is my assumption, and you clarified if I'm completely wrong, which I'm often wrong, is that you are collating information in a different way based on what part of the brain that's being triggered potentially. So tell me yeah. about that process. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, it is different with every single uh, different type of neurodiversity that you get. There's a different reason. There's something different that's going on. It could be hormones, it could be the dopamine. So for instance, with the ADHD brain, what happens is, is, is that you have the prefrontal cortex will actually crash down. And so it just can't take in the information. And it has some to do with the um, dopamine gets put out very quickly. And, but it, 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 you probably know dopamine, it's why we call it, of course, dope, we talk about dope, is, is that 
it, you constantly need more. And so that where that brings in the hyperactivity and you have to differentiate between ADD and ADHD. Uh, ADHD has a hyperactivity in it and it is on, we, it's always on a spectrum. So it depends on how, you know, how much you have or, or don't have, but that's what's happening is that dopamine crashes down and when it does, then it goes, well, I need that other agenda or let me see what's going on over here or what's going on out at the window. And that gets that dopamine going again. So enough that you can go back. So that's a little bit the process that is uh, happening to there. But one thing to differentiate is when we talk about neurodiversity is that there are just so many different uh, different types. So it depends on you know which which one you're looking at. It could be Asperger. You know, it's always considered on the on the usually on the um, on the autistic spend, uh, uh, the autistic spectrum spectrum. And so you're looking at anything from, you know, the ADHD, the Asperger's, dyslexia, there's uh, uh, dyspraxia, which is movement, there's dyscalculia, which is the numbers, you can have a little bit of that words, um, OCD, obsessive uh, control disorder. And then there is Tourette syndrome, which is if you've ever heard somebody just speak out all of a sudden, or suddenly swear and switch their heads. Well, sometimes it's hard to get past those movements and take them pretty seriously that they're actually very good at what they do in accounting or in, um, you know, in manufacturing, whatever. So, so, there's, so there's definitely, a, obviously, when we look at the spectrum, there is a lot of um, diversity, even within the di neurodiversity. So people that are not aware, and if you've never had to potentially interface because you're not knowing that, I would say that most people are ill-equipped on how to intervene with people that might That's, be neurodiverse. Yeah. yeah, and so we have our labels and this is stuff that is still new, Roxanne. We're still working on it. And, you know, there are so, you know, and people are just beginning to step up and say, this is me. I think an example, a wonderful one is Elon Musk. Sometimes everyone, the, the person, a lot of people like to dislike, but if you understand Asperger's, as he says, you know, somebody he said on Saturday Night Live, someone who sends a rocket up to space is not uh, going to be your normal guy. And in fact, that's one of the profiles that is pretty rough on the kids as well. Um, happens a lot to to, uh, to boys, but can be both. But these are the kids who really liked, like like Elon Musk, typical. He wanted to, he was fascinated in certain things. Um, he studied them all of the, uh, more than going out and, and playing with other children. He has whirled around one or two things that he, he wanted to learn and then he'd go on to the next one and the next one. And those kids often get bullied, they get beat up. And um, you often hear of that they, because they're different and children pick that up and they don't play the same way. They also, this goes back again to how important the hormones is they oftentimes don't have the dopamine and they don't have the, um, they don't have the, excuse me, the oxytocin. So they can't, they, if you don't have oxytocin, you don't have empathy. It's harder to find it. You have to ask questions differently. So somebody with Asperger's, they have to learn. That's part of the training they need to go through is what kinds of questions to ask people because they, we, if you're familiar with mirror neurons. The mirror neuron is a neuron that basically allows us to mimic people, to pick it up. I smile and mm -hmm. you're probably smiling even yes. over there when I see your photograph. That's a mirror <laughs> neuron. Right. But 
if you have Asperger's, you're not going to smile. You don't, you just don't have it. You're going to look pretty grim uh, because that particular piece is missing. Now with all of this, I'm giving examples. It's not the science behind it. I mean, you'd have to look at each one. The difference we have now and what has totally changed this field is with the fMRI, the magnetic resonating, we can see all this. And I just am fascinated by looking at my brain go off in all these ways because I know that it looks slightly different. But you know something is that as an anthropologist and a neuroanthropologist, we can do the same thing for Chinese, Asians, uh, Americans, Europeans. We can now light up in their brains as well. So there's other kinds of neurodiversity that are not necessarily included in this autistic spectrum that we speak a lot about. But for each of those, there's a different kind of job that's important to do. And where companies come in is they've missed the boat in is so many of them, I mean, we had 18% um, unemployment among the neurodiverse, and yet the number of jobs in IT were skyrocketing. But when people would go, when companies would go to look for something, they would look at what's good leadership. And it's about putting people together and communication skills and this kind of dynamism that they don't have. However, they are very, very good at asking the questions no one has asked, of thinking differently, of seeing patterns that others don't see. And that's one of the, the things is they can often see that they can make connections precisely because their neural pathways are not hooked up in the same way. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an important feel for people to be, for, for HR to begin to look at how they hire people, how they interview them. Uh, maybe they want an interview that is, is not on paper, but rather a trial will be much more effective than it will be the in-person one. So that's, that's fascinating, you know, because if you think about it and we think about your mirror neurons to your point, um, we're kind of gauging how someone is able to connect and um, whether we're going to proceed along the spectrum of connection. Right. Mm -hmm. And if, if people, it's not that, like you said, you'd lose use Elon or anybody else. Like you think of like people, like they say, like Mozart and things like that. I, more than likely on the spectrum, potentially closer to the spectrum of Asperger's, right? Because they are so one pointed, like you said, to one or two things that they become phenomenally um, good in those areas. But most of us, I would say, and myself included, you know, there's a curiosity with a lot of things. So we 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 kind of um, you know disperse our, our our attention to so many things versus kind of maybe focusing on one or two things. So in a way, the brain is diametrically kind of at different positions. So hence the, like what you're saying is someone that is able to focus in on just one or two things, they are going so deep potentially compared to say a brain that, you know, is kind of taking in everything. So that's, I love that description because that, I think, wow, you know, if you think of um, people that really, really excel right, to a skill, they really have to work at doing just one thing and they may not be wired that way as well. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting. And yeah, now, and you know, in workplaces, I think that's what I'm fascinated by because um, how equipped 
our managers, leaders, and supervisors to deal with people that maybe they they got through the engagement and the you know the onboarding potentially, but then they start to work with them and they don't know what to do. So that's the part that I'd love to see what what the institute does with your with uh, getting involved with companies. Yeah, and and this is the kind of thing that we can do is to be able to bring to them. First of all, it's the general understanding. But it's kind of like saying, I mean, at the Leadership Institute, we do, uh, you know, it's basically good leadership as well. So it's almost like saying, well, now let's take everything that we've just done and do the opposite when you're working with these particular people. We wanted different skills, but not everybody needs to be a manager. Not everybody needs to be a leadership. And when these people are very, very good at what they do, which is probably vis-a-vis -vis the computer on a, on a much smaller basis, um, we can take it to, for instance, with Asperger's. You have a lot of brilliant people that they want teaching. But you know something, Roxanne, they're not the greatest of teachers because they don't have, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like they, they seem to be communicating with the blackboard and um, that's not their skill. But a lot of times what companies, what uh, even educational things are saying, well, this is interesting, but maybe rather than being here, this person actually not teaching about it needs to be in the lab. Mm. You put, you know, Jonathan in the in the in the in the classroom, and they want to throw erasers at him, and you put him in a lab, and he can absolutely come up with cell biology. That we, you know, where does that come from? That where does that understanding? But it's that understanding of Nietzsche of being able to see patterns. We have somebody like um, if you there's actually a movie done on our Temple Graden. And she had Asperger's, but again, you can't say Asperger's. So she said it's the spectrum. And mm -hmm. so she has a little bit of autism, a little bit of everything. And, but she is typical of those who can actually see things in, uh, they put things together in the air. If you've ever seen The Good Doctor, he does that. There are all these little mm. pictures that come up and that's what it is. It actually exists. And she was able to do brilliant things. In this case, she started with um, patterns for uh, cattle to be run in totally different ways so that they had a lot less of the testosterone, other things in their body. It made a huge change on what we eat on, on our table today. And that's because she could see the patterns. So again, you know, it's, it's having these people do... Um, look for things that the normal brain, quite frankly, probably can't do. So um, it's just exciting to be able to see the companies do, but we can, so we need to train the leaders to look for a different leadership to maybe not press that individual to go up the, the normal chain. We all have our ladder against the, the wall, right? Well, no, a lot of these people don't, but who are we talking about here? It's such a huge field. I mean, if you look at the list of, of uh, kind of who is and who isn't, you have, of course, leading them, something, you know, somebody like Bill Gates. And Bill Gates has been pigeonholed with every one of them. There are pieces of, aut of um, autism there. There's pieces of Asperger's. There's pieces that are not one or the other. But without that, and you want to ask me the question, what is the cost? Without that, we probably wouldn't have Microsoft. Who knows with, you know, with Steve Jobs, with a lot of the really brilliant ones, even Einstein, we can't call him autistic. He didn't speak until he was four or five. And that's rather typical. But once he did, the rest is history. So, you know, and some of that was his Asperger's. Maybe some of that was his wife helping. We have all kinds of stories behind that. Um, but we know 
that with 800 billion people on the planet, the one thing that is certain is that every one of those 800 billion brains is different. There's no wiring that is the same. And we have about 18% that are considered neurodiverse and more if you have the, the very severe, severe ones. And we're just beginning to realize the importance. And I thank you very much for, for organizing this evening because there's so many people who are uncomfortable. I mean, I really, really suffered with my ADHD and still probably do. Um, I remember saying to my daughter once, oh, I just, I'm so tired. I feel like I'm running a two-legged race. She thought about it. She said, yeah, mommy, but you run faster than anybody. And, <laughs> and it's true. You do, especially if you have ADHD. You really get out there. Um, you're, you're leapfrogging the rest of us who are just trying to yeah. keep up with you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we it's just, you know, shaking it up. And, and I think we can kind of wish that we all had little touches of, of everything but learn. And I, you know, I, I know myself uh, before understanding this, I had uh, someone you know, that I was working with and the first Zoom conversation was before we kind of hooked up, I could see him you know, going like this and shaking his head and switching the seat. And I immediately found myself putting it in a pigeonhole saying, oh, I don't want to work with this guy. He's really a nervous, nervous person. Kind of. And then when I understood turrets, I was like, oh, this is turrets. This is jerking of the body. This is this, and boy, did I have someone brilliant, and I'm so lucky that I didn't pass him off on that uh, that uh, first Zoom call. So, uh, so let's let's talk about. I'm very very fascinated by how is it that companies are more open. I you know we are now in an age where we're coming out. You know we're post pandemic or kind of what iteration of the pandemic. Um, we're knowing that now people are, are wanting value alignment with the positions that they're keeping. People are, you know, going with, with brands that they like or they're, they want to, um, to kind of live within. Uh, we see quiet quitting happening all over. Now we're, you know, the worry about the world recession that's we're in or, or coming about. There's a lot of worries. So with all of those things in mind, what are you finding that companies are willing to do differently around this element of the spectrum or neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. Well, there's there, there there there's a whole range of things they can do. Obviously, we've got a new kind of training. Mentoring is one of the best. You find somebody who is sensitive to this, and we do. And as a coach with uh, um, you know trained with the Neuroleadership Institute, they have a very good method that we just use in general for using it for neuroleadership. This can also be used very well with um, people who are neurodiverse because it's a different approach. It's really getting people to themselves, to the aha. So well, what, a, what, what, an, what an amazing all-encompassing model, right? Because really it's, it's really true elements of what maybe people that haven't not been impacted by neurodiversity, we get just because, right? So kind of thinking yeah. that I connect in a certain way, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the you know, little elements so I can proceed along with trust. Um, you know, then I'm looking for a little bit of consistency, but those are the normal steps. But SCARF really is a, a beautiful model because it allows to say, okay, if you are different, why not create the context so that people can feel um, safe and secure enough to proceed in a way um, to find their grounding in, in whatever capacity that they're working. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like a really, really nice model. Our companies... Um, 
looking for models like this and are they applying it? Um, and why would a company come forward to, to work with the yeah. institute? Why would the they? scarf model? Yeah, if you're re replying to the scarf model, yes, they are. Um, the scarf model is definitely one that is being used in a lot of companies. We use it all the time now. That's getting widespread recognition, and so we're we're being able to use that. Awesome. And just um, it's probably one of the best models known in neuroleadership right now. Okay, that's fascinating. So I have one last, and I know we're running out of time, but I have one last question because you're intrigued by you bringing it up. You said that there's different parts of the brain based on culture um, uh -huh. that gets lit up. So, and that's in, from a, a diversity lens. I'm just curious, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm fascinated um, by you bringing that up. Yeah, this is uh, perhaps something for, you know, a part two, because it's, it's um, we now have, it, it's a little bit of a different field. We call that encoding and how we are encoded for culture. But we know that it's not just that we choose to do, but rather some of this goes back even 2000 years. For instance, if you look at Asians, um, they, this was a population that has more serotonin because for two reasons, it was um, largely has to do with whether or not you were rice or wheat. And another one that is, um, so you have the rice or wheat and that will make a difference on whether you develop more of the serotonin. It was also more protected because the population was um, very susceptible to disease and Ooh. still is. So that has a lot to do with that. And you can look at the difference between flip over to the United States where you've got dopamine and you've got, um, with the dopamine, you've got cultures that are definitely uh, like the US, they're wheat. And we had oh. to get out there by ourselves always. And, you know, if you remember that old, old story about who will, you know, the chicken, the sky is falling, who will help me plant my wheat? Well, I will do it myself if I want my bread. Well, that's very different if you are coming from a rice base, if you don't work together, for thousands of years, you will starve. You have to because of the way the rice patties work and to let it all out together. And that is encoding. And that gets us, um, that gets us, you know, fixed in that way. Wow. Well, that is a fascinating, fascinating conversation yeah. that truly we're talking about the I versus the we, but we're looking at it from a different code, which I'm, I think we'll definitely have to have you come back because I think we yeah. need to talk more about that as we talk about you know, uh, DEI and inclusion, uh, you know, what a fascinating thing if we can go back to looking at imprinting and uh, cultural context and then yeah. generational cu cultural context and what, and then we put all of us together now that we're a global economy and we're all just going to play really, really nice, right? And yeah, so that, yeah. that, that understanding would be very, very fascinating. So I would love at some point uh, with our schedules for you to be able to come back on and we'll We'll spend time exploring that um, from your anthropological background, which I think would be uh, really amazing. Now, Cynthia, I'd be really like, happy to do that. So, for yeah. people that are thinking, "Wow, this is some pretty neat stuff," and yeah. they want to know more about the institute and you, where can they reach you, or um, where would you like people to connect with you if you are open to that to, to um, get a bit more um, knowledge around neurodiversity and the implications um, for training and development? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, just to say a little bit about that, it's uh, as we end 
It is the Center for Neuroleadership and Diversity here in Provence, France. And we do training, we do certification courses. We have um, a lot of coaching, mentoring that is done through the center. It's, it's, I, I really put it all together and have different visiting professors who come, uh, different groups that come. And so it goes in that direction and then do a lot of the coaching as well, neuroleadership coaching. Awesome. So for anyone, I have gained so much and um, I love the model, the SCARF model. And I think I'm going to, in my day-to-day -day interactions with people that I'm going out there, you know, regardless of the context of my interactions, I'm going to start to think more along those lines. Like, what is it if someone is a bit diametrically opposed to me? Maybe it's not, it, maybe it's maybe a subtlety, but it's my opportunity to be curious and to think, what is it that I could be implementing to connect in a different way? So thank yeah. you for that. Thank you for that gift. For anyone um, wanting, You're please welcome. reach out to Cynthia and get some more information. And okay. on my on my end, if you're wanting to learn more about authentic heart leaderships, uh, just reach out to us at roxanderhodge.com forward slash quiz. And you can do a really, really Great. quick assessment and we'll send the results to you. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.